We've all been there before. You're sitting in the audience, someone on stage goes to talk into their microphone, and bam, an ear-splitting squeal leaps from the speakers. Feedback is an all-too-common problem with live sound and can sometimes be difficult to control, especially as you add more and more microphones to the mix. Today, Tom gives us an explanation of a method called auto-mixing and how he's trying to implement it with our newest console. My name is Mike O'Neill, and this is Gig Essentials. Welcome to another episode of Gig Essentials. My name is Mike O'Neill. Uh, with me today is our usual panel, Mike, Chris, Tom. As you can see, we're in a little bit of a different setup today. Uh, we've got uh, some interesting things to talk about. Tom over here is sitting in our pilot's chair with the uh, Avid S6L. Um, so Tom, it's kind of come to my attention that uh, we've gotten a little bit, of, little bit more requests, I guess, particularly for corporate events for something called auto-mixing. Yes. So um, can you give me a little bit of information about that? Tell us about that. Um, one of the big selling points of some other brands of consoles uh, for the corporate market is the ability to do auto-mixing. And I know just having kept an eye on some of the um, Avid user groups, that's one of the largest or biggest requests is the ability to do auto-mixing. and. Um, some complaints or, I guess, development requests of saying, hey, you know, we think that there's a way to do it, but you need to have a certain set of features to be able to do it um, built into the console. So um, with this really being kind of my ideal desk in our inventory to take out to a corporate show, mm -hmm. I thought, well, it's just simply a matter of sitting down at the console and trying to figure out a way to make this work. Um, so there's any number of ways that I can make this happen, and the only way to tell if they're really going to work is to try them out. Okay. Um, so what I've done is I've created uh, a corporate show file, and we actually have another video up on YouTube where I kind of go through my whole workflow with the S6L right. in terms of what I do for my channel layouts and everything like that. Um, and I'm going to try three different things that are essentially free or low-cost solutions on the S6L to get some form of auto-mixing. Um, just a background on auto-mixing for those who don't know, um, there's a couple of different flavors and brands of it out there. Uh, the most popular and well-known one is uh, made by Dan Dugan. Um, it's a process that he's developed for a very long time. And essentially the way it works is um, it recognizes when somebody is talking and is able to discern from background noise, um, you know, whether that's an actual microphone of somebody speaking into it or whether it's a fan blowing in the background or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and as more and more people start talking, what happens is you have more and more open vocal microphones on stage. Um, and as a lot of live sound engineers know, lavalier mics in particular for corporate setting are really difficult to deal with. Yes. Um, so what the Dugan does is as more people start talking in like a panel discussion situation, it opens up those microphones, but it also reduces the overall output of everything. So you kind of keep your gain before feedback level consistent. Gotcha. So if you have one open microphone, you have all the available gain. If you have two open microphones, it reduces the output gain of all of that a little bit. 
so that it's the equivalent to one open microphone at maximum gain. Um, I have sat here and tried to figure out how to make this happen with events and things like that. That is a real extreme amount of functions to try and figure out. Mm -hmm. um, maybe down the road I'll figure out how to do it. But uh, for today, I've actually come up with three different simple solutions. Um, I have uh, the first one being um, using regular noise gates. Um, Chris, you and I were talking before this. Uh, what application do you use noise gates for in a corporate setting? Uh, I mean, I use it, so gates are a little tricky because, uh, like I was talking about before, when you're up on, when somebody's up on stage, like, you need to have them clear, open the entire time. It's better to usually not have a gate than do one at all. Usually, most of the time, when I use a gate in a corporate setting, it's to, like, kind of almost just, I keep the threshold real down to the bottom. That way a lot of stuff can come through because a lot of people can be different, especially uh, it depends on if you're using a lavalier or a podium mic too because a lot of the time the podium ain't gonna move or sometimes people will touch it. Some people are far away, some people are real close to it and so it kind of makes it hard to dial in a solid gate that you can set and forget. There's not really a lot of that doing with gates. Uh, in a corporate setting. And even with lavaliers, a lot of the time, like I've been on gigs with you where we go out there, there's no sound checks for any of those labs a lot of the time. A lot of the time it's, you know, it's almost like, it's, I, I call it to like an award show. It's like you have people on stage, all right, now they're off. Then the next group comes on and then they're off. And you get a schedule and you figure out who's going to be on and how many labs you need at some, uh, at one point or another. So you never get to like see how this next person on stage is going to come out and be, and how they're going to talk so that you can dial in personally. It's a lot of on the fly stuff. So that's where uh, gates can get dangerous um, because if you're setting the threshold too high and then somebody talks real low, you're going to start either they're not going to hear what you're going to say. Some people are going to start saying to repeat what you're saying from the audience and stuff like that. And then other times they're really loud and it's like there's no need for a gate anyway. So a lot of the times for gates, I will just do a really long, uh, a pretty long hold and then release as well and then just keep the threshold pretty low that way whatever's gonna come through. And then if it's dead quiet, a lot of the time you do it just above the system noise or whatever else is coming through. That way it'll go dead if there's long pauses or something like that. Yeah. Now, gates are good. I don't feel that like they really give you a ton of gain before feedback, but it certainly helps if you're doing a panel discussion where yeah. you have a lot of people talking and some are quiet. Yeah. Keeps the quiet mics closed. Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. One issue I know with gates that another thing we have kind of solves is that when a gate's off, it's off. Yeah. And if you are sending to a broadcast feed, like in you know kind of our situation here where we have a camera, mm -hmm. if that gate closes, you lose a lot of the room ambience. And yeah. I you know when I've had gates on things before, I've had people from the video world come to me and say, Hey, do you have a gate on this because it we keep hearing the audio. They don't off. want that. Yeah, because, again, it's people talk real low. or they, they can just be dynamic. Sometimes they're really animated in talking, and then they can talk kind of quiet, and, like, it'll just trip. It won't break the gate uh, threshold, and, like, you lose information in that. Yeah. And, and then when also, they come back out, it's, like, choppy. You lose that ambience, too, because yeah. when, when you're sitting in the room as the live sound engineer, if a gate closes on the mic, you don't hear it because there's HVAC systems and things like that. But All if you're sitting with earbuds in watching this on a phone yeah. for a live stream, you hear. Yeah, you hear that all the time, and it's pretty distracting, too. So that's why I mentioned it's like if you do a long release and stuff like that. I mean, I've heard that a lot of that techniques in, like, podcasting and stuff, too, where you, if you hear long pauses, eventually you hear that system noise go down. I've definitely heard it. But it's the difference between letting it gradually go down and having the threshold low enough that anything that's going to get said is going to be coming out clearly, but then after a long time, if there's dead air, it'll just slowly go down. And I think that's a little less distracting, and it's not as obvious. Mm -hmm. 
For it, sure. It kind of helps too, like if you have a lot of podium mics or something on stage, you aren't having to actively think, oh, let me turn that podium mic down that we're not using right now. If you yeah. get kind of sidetracked in talking to producer, exactly. intercom conversation, something like that, it, it kind of helps you out a little bit. So yeah. gates have their uses. Now, what I really wanted to highlight with using the gates on the S6L is because the S6L is Avid's newest console, I'm curious to find out if they have made their gates very transparent. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've used anything from a uh, small Behringer console up to the S6L and the Profile and the SC48. I've mm -hmm. used gates on those and, you know, mixed results. Yeah. Um, but what we're really testing today is, does the S6L gate, is it clean enough that it could be used in that setting exactly. where it sounds fairly transparent? Mm -hmm. um, so we have a second method that I wanted to try and that's using something called events on the console. Um, so the S6L has something that I've seen people go really wild with um, in terms of, you know, if they're mixing a pop artist or something, they have events where, uh, you know, if the person picks up a backup microphone, it flashes the console lights and alerts them so they know to change settings and things like that. Yeah. Um, within the S6L, events are, um, you can really pick anything that happens on the console, whether it be a meter input, um, uh, movement of the fader, um, a gate opening or closing, all sorts of things like that. Whenever some parameter of the console changes, it can trigger another parameter of the console to change. Um, so um, I've created a basic auto mixer where if the meter threshold on the microphone's channel exceeds a certain level, minus 35 dB, that channel's fader will go up to zero. When it goes below minus 35 dB, so the person stops talking, it pulls the fader down to minus 15. Um, this is a lot of how like uh, Broadway shows are mixed. Um, the person mixing a Broadway show will actually be mixing line by line. Okay, this person talks now, pull the fader down. Now this person is the next person to talk. Yeah. Mm. What we're attempting to do with the S6L is automate that whole yeah. system just by relying on meter um, positions. Now I think, and we'll find out, that we may have a lot of the same issues as we do with gates where um, ambient noise is not really taken into account. So if I'm talking really loud and it's picking up in Chris's mic too, that's gonna trigger. My mic to go up as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other downside to the, um, the events triggered fader is that um, one, it'll wear the fader out really quickly. So what you would have to do is set up some internal routing where your channels that you're actually mixing on on the console um, are going through their normal processing and then you internally route it to a second bank of faders that are hidden so it's not the actual physical fader moving up and down it's just moving up and down in software right so the motors yeah. aren't getting affected by yeah uh, also changes. because you wouldn't want to be trying to mix a show and then having a fader like with a mind of its own <laughs> just, <laughs> just tweaking out the whole time yeah. right um, so I think that that's a possibility um, of how it could be done. I'm really just curious to see. Uh, the one thing it doesn't take into account is that number of open microphones. Um, where if I start talking and then Chris starts talking, it's the added gain of those two mm -hmm. um, microphones coming out together rather than like a two microphones on with 
slightly reduced level to keep that uh, gain before feedback threshold yeah. where we want it to be. Um, now, here's the third option that I've come up with. Okay. Um, corporate guys will recognize this one. Uh, you've spent tens of thousands of dollars on a console, and now you need a solution that you can take with you. Um, and you also need to be able to make your payments to the bank for the purchase of this console. So what's the poor man's solution for auto mixing? Um, so in the corporate world um, and in the install market, many years ago, Shure came out with a unit called the SCM810. Um, and the SCM810 is Shure's version of auto, auto mixer. Now I say this is a poor man's solution but if you look at the new retail cost of the SCM810, it was well over $1,000 um, when it came out. And uh, I've actually opened it up and taken a look at some of the circuitry. It's not really what you'd expect. It's a pretty sophisticated piece of equipment. Um, the great thing about the SCM810 was it was originally intended to be installed in boardrooms and things like that. Okay. Mm. Um, and anybody that really works in the install market knows that a lot of times when uh, you know, a major bank or something decides to revamp their boardroom. They do it every 10 years with some new technology. The old stuff gets thrown out, gets sent to a dumpster, or in this case, uh, gets sent to an electronics recycler. Um, I was able to buy this $1,000 auto mixer for $40 on eBay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I put out an inquiry on Facebook to some live sound engineering groups and asked, hey, has anybody ever used this in a corporate setting? And um, didn't get a lot of responses because I think like the Dugans are a little bit more popular, but I have uh, heard a bunch of people who said, oh yeah, you know, I had to do 40 Q&A microphones. So I ran them all into the SCM810. Um, you can actually cascade these too. There's a function, I think, I think it's a maximum of 50 SCM810 units can be cascaded. Dang. So you can do 400 microphones, yeah. which would be, an absolute nightmare. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to do that many Q&A microphones. Look but. at the blinky lights. <laughs> See them all going. I mean, just the sheer amount of truck space that would take up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, for 40 bucks, I've got a cool little tool that I can throw in my workbox if I wanted to. Um, don't necessarily have to use it with the uh, S6L. But um, there were some things I was thinking specifically S6L related to this. Uh, one thing that I did when I built my program on the S6L is I want this to emulate a Dugan where um, it is post fader. So everything I do to the channel is at my discretion in terms of how loud I make a microphone, et cetera. And the mm -hmm. only thing that the SCM810 is doing is it's voting which microphone is actually active and muting the unused ones. Mm -hmm. And it's also handling the number of open microphones. So it's controlling the output gain to keep everything consistent. Gotcha. Um, Within my console setup, what I've done is in a default setting, um, I've created a snapshot. And a snapshot on um, Avid console is you can uh, configure really any parameter and save just that parameter or all the parameters um, for quick recall. Um, you can't really do this on a lot of other consoles. I don't think you can do it on most of the Yamaha ones because when you load a new scene, it's reloading everything. Mm. Um, the Avid stuff is cool because if you just want to save a fader movement or if you want to save um, some channels being muted or if you want to save where some channels are being routed, you can do that within a snapshot and it won't change anything else on the desk. 
Oh, nice. Um, so what yeah. I've done was I created, um, in my corporate show file, I have all of my lavalier or RF microphones going to bus one. Um, and then that goes to matrices and goes out to my PA system. That's in its default configuration. I save that as a snapshot. Then I build a second snapshot um, where it unassigns all of those lavalier mics from the lavalier mic bus. And it sends them to the direct out for their respective channel. The direct out is a physical analog output that feeds into my SCM-810. And then the SCM-810 spits out a submix, which I have returning on an unused channel way, way down. Uh, it's kind of buried on channel 49, because I don't even want to think about it. Um, <laughs> and that return channel is then bussed to the lavalier bus. So by creating those two snapshots, what I'm able to do is have auto-mix enable and auto-mix disable. All it's doing is it's saying auto-mix disable all the RF microphones just go to their normal bus, auto mix enable, it deassigns them from their bus, sends them to their direct out, and then it brings in that return channel from the SCM 810. Yeah. Um, so if I was in a situation doing a corporate show where we are you know, limited on maybe we have eight or 16 microphones, for the first half of the program, we're just gonna have one presenter come out and talk, another presenter come out and talk, another presenter come out and talk, Maybe I don't really want or need auto mixing on that. Um, and then they're going to bring out all of the presenters and they're going to do a panel discussion. I can, from my function keys here, um, I have auto mix enable and auto mix disable. I can push one button on the surface and that will bring the auto mixer in and out of the signal chain. Um, so I don't even have to worry about it affecting if I have a single person talking on stage or that kind of thing. Nice. So um, I actually thought of another thing that you could do with that. Um, one limitation of this setup is that you're burning physical analog outputs on the console and inputs as well. Mm -hmm. um, and if I had 16 wireless microphones, I would have to have two SCM810s and I'd have to burn 16 physical outputs to be able to make that happen. Um, what you could do if you wanted, and I think this would be possible with snapshots, is I could save my first eight RF microphones as auto mix group A, and I could save my second set of eight wireless microphones as auto mix group B. So if I had back-to-back -back panel discussions where these folks were lobbed up and ready to go on the first eight microphones, and these folks were lobbed up backstage, I only have eight available channels of auto mix. I right. should be able to build a snapshot where snapshot A routes all these first eight channels to that auto mixer, and then when I hit my snapshot, it reassigns all the outputs to the same auto mixer, but on all the group with your, B with channels. Your second group. Yeah. Um, so that's actually one thing I think the S6L could be really useful for, and I, I would love to experiment with that and hear people's ideas on if you're physically limited on the number of channels that you can auto mix, but you're only auto mixing eight people at a time, um, that snapshot functionality is really nice on the S6L that I think you should be able to have all those configurations change and be able to use just one piece of hardware to handle multiple groups of microphones if it works within the flow of your show. Um, so 
with all that lengthy stuff being said, um, we have created a script and we are going to be um, produce farmers <laughs> here in the United States, uh, like many of the panel discussions that any corporate engineer has sat and uh, tried to stay awake and mixed. <laughs> um, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through all three of the uh, options of auto mixing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're taking a board feed directly from here into the camera. That way, people can hear my super low budget solutions for auto mixing, see what they think works well, and decide, you know, is this something I want to try out on my show if I'm behind the console here? See what the various results are based off the, the different setups, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, just to make everyone's life a little bit more difficult, we're actually running a real PA system in the room as well because a lot of what auto mixing is is the ability to get more gain before feedback. Um, so I have a classic JBL Eon set up firing off into the corner of the shop just to add a little bit of room ambience and also have to deal with the gain before feedback issues that uh, we're attempting to work with here. So um, this is not too unlike what you'd have for just a basic corporate you know, little panel, little panel discussion. Yeah. So we're going to keep things consistent. Um, all the gains will be matched. Um, we're going to be reading from the same script for all three of these. The only thing that will be changing is the actual um, auto mix Oops. method itself. Gotcha. So today, gentlemen, we are discussing the shortage of apples in the American exports market. Chris, you've been an apple farmer for 15 years. Could you give us some insight on why this is happening? Well, certainly. The rise in farm automation has created less of a demand for apples and more of a demand for valuable crops like coin and soybeans. That's very true. Tom, you have experience with the soybean market. What's your take? Well, soybeans have had an interesting year. The lack of rain in the Midwest combined with some of the new plastics technology using soy products have created many market fluctuations. Yeah, we've seen a lot well, of that. Well, we think that we'd be able to regulate production year. for quarter four of 2020. As a producer of celery, we too have seen reductions in crop. How many thousands of acres of reduced capacity are you seeing? Uh, 10, 20,000. Yeah, like 30 to 50,000. Easily 20 to 30,000. Well, as you can clearly see, the apple market has taken some hits in the past few, in the past few months, as well as agriculture as a whole. Uh, let's hope that 2021 brings some solid opportunities for export as we see some of the emerging markets start to open up. So today, gentlemen, we are discussing the shortage of apples in the American exports market. Chris, you've been an apple farmer for 15 years. Could you give us some insight on why this is happening? Well, certainly. The rise in farm automation has created, a, uh, created less of a demand for apples and more of a demand for valuable crops like corn and soybean. That's very true. Tom, you have experience in the soybean market. What's your take? Well, soybeans have had an interesting year. The lack of rain in the Midwest, combined with some of the new plastics technologies using soybeans, have created many market fluctuations. Yeah, we've seen that a lot. Well, we think that we'll be able to regulate well. production for quarter four of 2020. As a producer of celery, we too have seen reductions in crop. How many thousands of acres reduced capacity are you seeing? About 10, 20,000. 30 to 50,000, yeah. Easily 20 to 30,000. Well, as we can clearly see, the apple market has taken some hits in the past few months, as well as agriculture as a whole. Let's hope that 2021 brings some solid opportunities for export as we see some of the emerging markets start to open up. So today, gentlemen, we are discussing the shortage of apples in the American exports market. Chris, you've been an apple farmer for 15 years. Could you give us some insight on why this is happening? 
Yeah, certainly. The rise in farm automation has created less of a demand for apples and more of a demand for valuable crops like corn and soybeans. It's very true. Tom, you have experience with the soybean market. What's your take? Well, soybeans have had an interesting year. The lack of rain in the Midwest combined with some of the new plastics technology using soy products have created many market fluctuations. Yeah, we've seen well, a we lot While we think that we'll be able to regulate well. production for quarter four of 2020. As a producer of celery, we too have seen some reductions in crop. How many thousands of acres are reduced capacity are you guys seeing? I'd say 10, yeah. 20,000. 30 to 50,000. Easily 20 to 30,000. Well, as we can clearly see, the apple market has taken some hits in the past few months, as well as agriculture as a whole. Uh, let's hope that 2021 brings some solid opportunities for export as we see some of the emerging markets start to open up. So there you have it. Those are the three different methods that we've tested out today for auto mixing. Uh, Tom, Chris, Mike, thank you for your time today. Um, you can decide for yourself what works best based off of um, you know, whatever your format or your setup is for your particular events. Thank you gentlemen again for your time and we'll see you next time.